So may I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was listening to the news the other day, which is a very depressing thing at the moment in, in all respects, really, <laughs> well, apart from the sport, of course, um, I was reflecting at how at odds Jesus' teaching and example are with the quest for power and influence exhibited by our world leaders and indeed by those who would lead our own political parties. St Paul teaches us how he had to utterly redefine power and leadership after his experience of meeting Christ on the Damascus Road. And in his writings, Paul idealises not power, but powerlessness. I always find that quite difficult to say, powerlessness. When I am weak, he says, then I am strong. And he teaches us that mystery, that we don't break through and transform history from the top down, but from the bottom up. No doubt many of you have heard of Henri Neuven. And in 1985, he moved from the world of the best and brightest to the world of the weak. Neuven was a Dutch Catholic priest who spent most of his adult life in the United States, and he taught pastoral theology at Yale University and then at Harvard. And there, towards um, the end of his time there, he made what he describes as the most important spiritual choice of his life. He left Harvard and moved to Toronto, where for the last 11 years of his life, he served as a residential priest at Daybreak, a home for people with severe physical and mental disabilities. After 25 years in the priesthood, Neuven recounts that as, as he was turning 50, he began to experience a deep inner threat. He was praying poorly, living in isolation from others, preoccupied with being relevant and sensing that his success in academia had placed his soul in peril. He wrote, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place, that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. And as his time at daybreak went on, living among the weak, he was suddenly faced with his naked self. And this was a starting point for Nu, and after all these years, to discover his true identity as a child loved by God. Those broken, wounded and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, he wrote. The self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things. And it forced me to claim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable open to receive and give love, regardless of any of my accomplishments. And the real story behind Neuven's story is that of John Farnier, 
who in August 1964 started the first arch home for severely handicapped people. John Vanier died this year and there were many tributes to his work and uh, what he had uh, been able to achieve in his lifetime for such people, setting up a number of homes all over the world. And the word La Arche is the French word, of course, for shelter. And today there are over 100 large homes in 30 countries. And it was through Varnier that God spoke to Nguyen the audacious word, go and live among the poor in spirit and they will heal you. The purpose of these specifically Christian group homes, says Vanier, is not to normalise people according to the standards of society or to solve their problems, which is never likely to happen, but rather to celebrate them as sacred gifts of God who have gifts of their own to offer us. Human weakness can come to us in many guises. Physical weaknesses plague us all or some of the time, whether by injury, illness, accident, or simply aging. Paul says that our physical bodies were sown in weakness, and growing older forces physical weaknesses upon you no matter what you do. And to live in a culture that glorifies the young and the strong can be sometimes quite difficult as you grow older. Our world likewise worships wealth and to be financially weak, to be poor or to choose to give away your money makes you vulnerable. Or again, who has not experienced moral or psychological weaknesses, a sort of weakness that very often disenfranchises us from the religiously strong. When you think about it, we spend a large portion of our lives trying to hide or deny or overcome our weaknesses. We typically do not want to admit our weaknesses, either to ourselves and certainly not to others, especially if they hold power over us. And there are reasons for this, some of which are good, but many of which are toxic. So much of our society is built upon a compulsive need to compete and succeed, to prove your superiority to yourself and to others. It is a culture that breeds self-importance, elitism, aggressive competition and the fear of failure. So in a culture like this that honours the winners and belittles the weak, that defines the ideal human as powerful and beautiful, the weak are pushed aside. And who wants to be marginalised? But one cost of achieving this standard of success is, of course, intense loneliness. Martha Beck wrote a book called Expecting Adam about her, um, the birth of her little boy, Adam. And she explores in that what it's like to live in a world where being human is defined by being successful, intelligent, and powerful. She and her husband, John, were very intelligent people. They both had two degrees. And then their son, Adam, was born with Down syndrome, 
but she says Adam helped them to discover their own disabilities and that there was a different, better way to live, a way of the heart. In his correspondence with Corinthian Christians, Paul makes much of this theme of his own many personal weaknesses. He did not come to them, he says, with superior wisdom or rhetorical eloquence. No, he comes in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Later, in defending his apostleship, he argued, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. At least part of this had to do with Paul's thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment, but it was probably more than that. There are some intimations that his physical appearance was less than impressive. At any rate, his point is that only in and through his many weaknesses was God's grace sufficient and his power made perfect. Paul admits that the Christian gospel of Christ crucified sounds by the standards of this world to be foolishness. To the Jews it was literally a stumbling block and to the Greeks it was a laughing stock. But, says Paul, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This loving God is not a God of mere brute power. The merely powerful inspire fear, not love and affection. Rather, God is a God who in his own incarnation as a human being was subject to our weakness. And so in turn, he empathizes with all of us in our vulnerabilities. As we ourselves groan inwardly in awareness that we are weak, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us, even or especially when we are too weak to pray. If this is how God loves us in our own weakness and sins, then surely we must learn to accept ourselves with all our many foibles. We can love ourselves with the realization that it is acceptable to be less than perfect. For to deny our weaknesses is to live an illusion and a lie. Maturity, he writes Vanier, is precisely the acceptance of yourself with your own flaws as well as others with their flaws. It is to accept that God loves us without conditions or limits and to hear his voice that we too, like Jesus, are his beloved children. It is to believe the words of the hymn that I can come, in fact, come to him just as I am. It is finally to hear and believe the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think we can take comfort that from the very beginning God is able to use unlikely figures in one way or another. Figures that are unable, inept, unprepared and incapable. 
and the biblical text often shows them to be powerless in various ways. Sarah and Abraham, Moses himself, Rachel, Rebecca, David, Jeremiah, Jonah, Job, and Jesus himself are some of the clearest examples. God didn't pick the Egyptians. God picked an enslaved people in Egypt. In each case, there needs to be a discovery of a new kind of power by people who do not have power. The bottom, the edge, the outsider is the privileged spiritual position. That is why the biblical revelation is revolutionary and even subversive. According to Jesus, the so-called little ones are the only teachable ones capable of growth. It seems to be God's starting place. Until we admit that we are powerless, the real power will not be recognised, accepted, or even sought. Amen.